0: Here's Dr. DeRose.
1: Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're continuing a series of programs that we are recording in Houston, Texas. It is the convention center here, and the occasion is the ASI International Meetings in 2017. We've been talking with people who are doing work throughout the world, some of them working in the heart of Indian country, others doing things that are of interest to those in the heart of North America, in Indian country. Across from me is someone with an amazing background, Dr. Michael Hassel. Michael, it's great to have you with us. It's great to be with you. You actually have a doctorate degree in archaeology. Am I understanding that correctly? That's right. And you did that training in the heart of Indian country, right in Arizona.
2: That's right, at the University of Arizona in Tucson. So I was working in the anthropology department there, and most of my colleagues in the anthro- We're studying the Navajo, the Hopi, the Anasazi, various groups in that area. And I was kind of the oddball out because I was focusing on the ancient Near East and the Middle East.
1: So you have this very interesting cross-cultural background. You are very familiar with Native American archaeology, especially based on your collegial associations and your training. Sure. But you have really focused your life work on studying the archaeology of the Middle East.
2: That's right. That's right. And Egypt.
1: You know, what I find so fascinating about all of this is really there are some amazing parallels when we look archaeologically uh, throughout the world, and one of those interesting parallels has to do with dietary connections. Mm -hmm. Let me share with you from my, uh, my perspective, Michael, not being an archaeologist but being interested in the field, as we look at Native American culture, First Nation researchers have looked at how Native Americans ate before European contact. And, of course, so many tribes, hundreds of tribes, even you know, just federally recognized tribes, but many others, you can't generalize. But one thing that is consistent across many tribes was a strong emphasis on agriculture, mm-hmm. more of a plant-based diet. We talk throughout Indian country about the Three Sisters, corn. And beans and squash. So these plant products being held in high esteem. Then we have Europeans come onto this continent. And uh, for many of us today, even in Indian country, they brought a a better way of eating. Meat and uh, a very rich diet. Similar story played out in the Middle East, didn't it? Where there was kind of these two cultural patterns that go Absolutely. back many years. Absolutely. T- t- tell us a little bit about that from an archaeologist's perspective.
2: Well, of course, they were a very agriculture. If we if we study the early uh, ancient Near Eastern history, there was a, a whole agriculture movement, and and then of course, as societies became more sophisticated, particularly in Egypt and other places, uh, they also moved, especially the upper echelons of society, the elite. The royal families and so forth and those in the priestly families, they, they began to eat also a very highly rich diet that consisted of meats and mm-hmm. that kind of diet. And you see a change taking place also as we study forensically the mummies, for instance mm-hmm. in ancient Egypt, you see a difference between the lower classes and the upper classes. And the fact is that the upper classes, they have the same diseases that we are still suffering from today in our world, in our Western culture, particularly in the kinds of diets that we have.
1: One fascinating disease process in Indian country that has drawn the attention of researchers for decades is diabetes. Mm -hmm. Native American history, anthropology indicates that there was no diabetes in Indian country prior to European contact. There's some amazing insights about diabetes, aren't there, that come to us from the Middle East?
2: That's right, there is, there is, and and researchers most, just in the last decade or two, have really focused a lot more on using the most sophisticated scanning technologies in the Mm. medical community, CT scans, Mm. MRIs, to study ancient mummies, to see what kind of diseases they had, what kind of things uh, caused death at that time. And what is fascinating in some of these international studies, I'm thinking about a study, for instance, that was published in a recent book on obesity, the Handbook of Obesity and Epidemiology. There's an article there that focuses on the studies of the skin folds of royal mummies that's suggesting that some were very, very obese, Uh and that they suffered with the same kinds of diseases, diabetes in particular. Mm -hmm. Most recently, there was the discovery and identification based on DNA analysis of a mummy that had been known for quite some time, and that was the mummy of Hatshepsut, one of the first and only female pharaohs of Egypt. Mm. She was in the 18th dynasty, a very, very important. This is the same dynasty of King Tut okay. uh, at the end of that dynasty. She was at the beginning. She was very influential in Egypt in terms of the architecture and everything, but we know now today, based on the studies of her mommy, that she was obese and that mm. she's, she had diabetes, she uh, had cancer, and that she was suffering from the same kinds of diseases that are influenced by our diet still today in this time and age that we live in.
1: Now, this is amazing because there have been so many people over the years that have said, you know, if you want to live the good life, you've got to have these rich animal products. And the Egyptian pharaohs, in the case of Hatshepsut, she's ruling as pharaoh, right, even though she's a woman. Right, right. And she's getting the best food, right? Exactly. Anything she wanted. That's right. That's right. And here she's literally killing herself with caloric excess.
2: That's right. That's
1: right. It is such an amazing parallel with what we've seen in Indian country. And many people, and I think you're aware of this, Michael, throughout Indian country are trying to get back to the indigenous roots, getting back to those plant foods, getting back to agriculture. You're speaking as an archaeologist, and you're saying there is abundant evidence going back thousands and thousands of years uh, to this fact, this connection between lifestyle
2: and health. That's right. A, a recent study um, just published in uh, a very prestigious medical journal studying 52 different mummies has shown again that the types of diseases uh, that we have were endemic during that time period, especially mm-hmm. among the elite. And so tying this even back to the Bible in the book of Exodus where we read very clearly that there's a promise given to Israel that if, when they leave Egypt, that if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give your ear to his statutes and commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians. So here you have a promise uh, in the context of health and many of the laws that we have in the early passages of the first books of the Bible where you have a very clear indication of Israel's promise that if they go back to the agricultural roots that they came from as well, Mm -hmm. that they would experience health and healthful living.
1: This is amazing. I know you've devoted your life to the Middle East, and one of your textbooks has been, well, maybe collectively, your library has been ancient manuscripts, right? Right. And uh, as an archaeologist... Do we have any insight into the accuracy of ancient manuscripts? You've mentioned the Bible from a archaeologic standpoint. Is the Bible more of a fairy tale where there's not documentation really, you know, historically or as you actually do digs? And I know you've done a number of them. Do you find evidence that corroborates the biblical account?
2: Well, archaeology in Israel is fairly a new discipline in terms of 150 years or so but it's been amazing to see what we've discovered during that time period and you know if you look at the characters that are mentioned in the bible not only kings and emperors but also uh common people scribes and and sometimes people that are mentioned in passing in a verse in the bible we have been able to locate through archaeological research over a hundred different individuals in the bible that we have been able to say okay We now have evidence that these people actually existed. Mm. When we look at the cities of the ancient world uh, that are talked about in the Bible, whether it's in Israel or whether it's in Iraq, modern Iraq, or or Iran or or various places, we have now been excavating those cities for Mm -hmm. all of these years. And there's dozens and dozens and dozens of cities that we can look to. And the Egyptian records that they left behind Uh testify to these places and these peoples as well. So we not only look at the Bible and look at what the Bible says, about Canaan and Israel and the cities within that region. But as the Egyptians were campaigning into Canaan, Mm -hmm. they're recording these cities and they're recording these people. So what we see again and again from the Egyptian record, from the Assyrian records, from other historical records is that the Bible is a book that is not only based on a philosophical idea or philosophical ideas of an individual, but it's, it's constituted in history. Hmm. And that these historical individuals, these people, places and cultures did exist, and they were real. I mean, we deal with the, as archaeologists, we deal with the material culture mm-hmm, of those people mm-hmm. every day. We handle the pottery. We handle the stone tools. And, you know, and it's not much different than how the Native Americans uh, lived uh, here mm-hmm. in this country for many, many years, and how others lived in different parts of the world. So we're able to handle that material evidence. That is tremendous.
1: I mean, for me, and... Michael, my background, and some of my listeners have heard me talk about this. I was someone who basically, as a young man, thought the Bible was just a fairy tale. Mm -hmm. And evidence like you've shared over the years, I've been aware of, of your work, and very pleased to have you on the show, has just left me convinced, and even as a scientist and a health professional, as I look at evidence like we're talking about today, the Bible has this intrinsic reliability
2: that's testified then externally by other sources. That's right. Fifty years ago, we didn't have the data about the diseases of the Egyptians. Mm. Today, we have the tools with which to assess these ancient mummies, and we're able to do a lot more research medically on what took place. So as science is developing, and whether it's archaeology or whether it is health science, we're able to put these things together together and to be able to have a better understanding of what took place in the ancient world.
1: Well, let me tell you one other interesting connection that I see with with Native American culture. Many times Christianity, I think, has been misrepresented by those of us. I now consider myself a Christian. And I look at how people taking the name of Christianity have mistreated Native Americans, in, in many cases historically. I mean, that's not a blanket statement. There are many Christians who have, I think, Dealt with compassion over the years to people of all races, but unfortunately, much of the history of Indian country has been marred by people saying they were evangelizing or Christianizing Native peoples. What is so interesting to me is as we talk about lifestyle in the light of archaeology, there's evidence in the Bible of a very poignant example of how biblical standards were set aside, even to this day by many Christians. I'm going back to the very source you mentioned. You mentioned the books of Moses, like Mm -hmm. Exodus. Right. The very beginning of the Bible paints a picture of a plant based diet where people were living, like you mentioned, very close to the land, an agriculturally based diet. And uh, this is something that we see as intrinsic to native culture as well. Many Christians have shelved that. They say, no, we're going to eat our meat. We're going to, you know, and they've put aside these biblical principles that are the same traditional values really that Native peoples have. So when Native Americans say, I don't like Christians, I'm saying, well, do you not like Christians or do you not like how Christianity has been represented? Because really, just like you're sharing, there seems to be this great commonality in indigenous peoples, especially those that were insightful.
2: That's right. That's right. Absolutely. And I think, you know, Christianity has changed. It's a big amorphous kind of identity out there, and it's very difficult. There's so many different types of christians mm-hmm. and of course i think that yeah you can obviously look at what christians did in the americas as they came in and as they came uh to to colonize and so forth but but certainly yes we we have that definite connection that i think is very very important
1: michael our time is uh, rapidly slipping away before we finish up You've got an amazing archaeology program and a wonderful museum there at Southern Adventist University. I've actually toured the museum before. If someone wants to get training in archaeology in America as an undergraduate, not a lot of options. Tell right. us about uh, how someone could learn about your program.
2: Well, uh, visit our website at southern.edu, and we have a fantastic Institute of Archaeology and undergraduate program in archaeology that is focusing on the ancient Near East, on the biblical world, and. Uh, we have a great uh, series and success of having students that go on to graduate programs and, and are working in different parts tremendous, of the world. Tremendous,
1: so. Southern.edu. Southern.edu. It's, it's that
2: simple. Okay. www.southern.edu.
1: Michael, thank you so
2: much. All right. Thank we you. We've got to step
1: away from the mic, but we're going to be back with more on today's edition of American Indian Living. Don't go cool away. I'm Dr. David DeRose. More great guests to come. You don't want to miss it. Stay tuned.
0: Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back
1: with Dr. David DeRose for American Indian Living. We're continuing a show being recorded from Houston, Texas, in August of 2017. We began by speaking with a world-renowned archaeologist, that is Dr. Michael Hassel, Dr. Hassel has stepped away. We saw, just to recap, evidence in the ground, evidence that uh, is unearthed by archaeologists digging that Native American cultural roots have wisdom that, if we look at it today, can help us prevent diseases like diabetes and obesity. Now I've got someone across from me who has focused on Things not under the Earth, but things above the Earth, outside the Earth. Jim Burr is sitting across from me. Jim, I know that's an interesting introduction. Some people are wondering, what is this guy dealing with? Tell us about your
5: background. Well, I have been designing telescopes for uh, 25, 30 years, Uh, invented some telescopes, I uh, invented binocular telescopes. We have uh, built the two telescopes I designed for NASA, for the Mars Science Lab. I have, right now i got eight employees uh, building stuff for telescopes. But I've developed a ministry uh, and uh, about the heavens. I've been so, you know, I'm, I'm reading astronomy magazines and then I'm reading the Bible and I'm going like, oh, that's interesting. I'm reading astronomy magazines where it says that Arcturus is a runaway star. and I remember, the Bible talked about Arcturus. The Bible said, God asked Job the question, uh, can you guide Arcturus? So the implication is God is guiding Arcturus. This uh, star, which is a runaway star, traveling about 400,000 miles an hour through our galaxy. Hmm. One article said it may leave our galaxy. In new recent articles, astronomers are saying it looks like, uh, did another galaxy give us Arcturus? There was an article about that. It's a very fast-moving star. Not the fastest-moving star. We have Bernard star, which is going a million miles an hour, but you well, can't no. see it without a telescope. But Arcturus is going through space, through our galaxy. has not yet collided with another galaxy.
1: This is, so basically, I'm fascinated by your work. I've known of you for years, Jim, and we've met in other contexts. Because what I hear you saying is you're just giving us some of these quick and yeah. fast uh, insights into astronomy. Here's my application of it the fascination, the respect that indigenous peoples paid to the heavens, you're seeing evidence that it points to a creator. From a biblical worldview, a Christian worldview, You might say there's evidence in the Bible of this, and we'll talk some more about that evidence. But from a native context, they may not have had access to a Bible. They didn't. But they still saw in the heavens evidence that they were not alone in the universe. And they they gave special value to what they saw in the heavens. Tell us a little bit more, Jim. With that background, of what evidence for a creator you see, whether it's from a biblical worldview or otherwise, as you look at astronomy.
5: Okay, I'd like to finish up a little bit about Arcturus. Yeah, please, please. Because the Bible says to Job, can you guide Arcturus with its sons?" Well, if you Google Arcturus group, you'll discover there are 52 other little stars with Arcturus traveling through our galaxy has not yet collided with another star. Wow. But when I look at our sun, you know, our sun is just kind of an average star. Nothing special about our sun. It's just as many stars bigger, many stars smaller than our sun. It is really big compared to our Earth. We could put one million Earths would fit inside of our sun. Wow. Wow. But the amount of power that comes from our sun is beyond anything you can imagine. Hmm. Uh, We just get a little sliver of the sun. We're 93 million miles away. The sun is radiating in every direction. We're just getting a little sliver of that Uh heat from the sun. In one second, our sun delivers enough energy to power every motor and light bulb on earth. For a half a million years. Every wow. second of the day, that power. Imagine, there's 500,000 years, a million years. There's a million and a half. There's a two million years. Just like that. Craig, it seems like a waste. Do you see all that energy coming out of we there. We can't harness it very well, huh? <laughs> We're trying to. Lawrence Livermore National Laboratories is working on building a sun on Earth. They've actually built the sun on Earth, but it's really small, about mm. the size of the head of a match.
1: <laughs> wow. Just to generate more energy? Is that part of the idea? Well, they're trying
5: to f- solve our energy problems uh-huh. because as this sun is cranking, how is this thing can to go for billions of years and just give off all this energy? Where did that power come from, you mm-hmm. see? And uh, it's just so incredible. So naturally, we say, if it's got all that energy from hydrogen, let's build the sun on Earth and solve our energy problems. Mm. Now, we do it with reactor, reactors, a nuclear reactor, but it's very inefficient. And uh, the sun is different than on nuclear reactors. Okay. We split the atom, uh-huh. but on um, the sun it's fused. And it's 17 times more power in the fusing of the atoms to form helium than the splitting of the atom. Hmm. And the splitting is dangerous. And it's pollution-free and it's not very efficient. And so Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory has built the sun no bigger than the head of a match, heating lasers the temperature of the core of the sun, firing it into, well... To run San Francisco for one year takes 21 million boxcars of coal to run San Francisco for one year. If you could do the fusion process that happens on the sun, you could replace 21 million boxcars of coal with 500 gallons of seawater. The heavy hydrogen terium in the Uh, seawater could run San Francisco. 500
1: 500 gallons of seawater. 500 would
5: replace 21 million boxcars of coal.
1: That is an amazing statistic. So the, (laughs) the fascination... That indigenous peoples had with the sun, and often the great um, reverence they had for the sun was uh, not misplaced from at least an astronomical perspective.
5: You see, if the sun was made out of coal, it would be burned up. And gone in 5,000 years. The sun the last 5,000 years was made out of coal. Mm -hmm. And here we see this miracle. And those other stars, we have 100 billion in the galaxy. They're all doing the same thing. They're all cranking out all this energy. It seems Mm -hmm. like a waste. Where where'd that power come from? It only has to come from God. It can't come from anybody else, anywhere else.
1: So here's the interesting question, Jim, because we especially speak on this show about health. Many people are telling us that one of the foundations for health is hope. If we don't have hope, if we're hopeless, it undermines our health. Indigenous peoples historically have looked to nature, they've looked to the stars, they've looked to the sun. They've seen that they were part of the universe. They've seen a connection. Now some people who are listening today from a Christian orientation might be a little uncomfortable with that analogy, but I think even from the biblical worldview that you often share archaeological insights from, there is an attempt to help us see practical lessons from astronomy. You mentioned this one about Arcturus. You've mentioned about the sun. Any other things that you find especially striking that remind us that we're not alone in this universe?
5: Well, it was a... Uh, a sign that I saw in a place down in Denver, and uh, it was from the Holocaust. It had pictures of people in mm. the Holocaust. And a sign on the wall says, you can live without comfort, but you can't live without hope. Mm. i tell you a story. Uh, our neighbor, who is who is a geologist and an evolutionist, not believe in God, has made fun of, uh, you know, kind of God all along for years. Well, I was at a convention in Tucson. He goes to Tucson for the winter, and I emailed him. I said, we've got a telescope convention coming up. If you and your wife would like to come... I'll pay your way so you can see all these telescopes. So there's only one problem. It's on Church Street. and I know you're an atheist. Uh, And he emailed me back, and he said, uh, no, I'm an agnostic. And I says, oh, that's good. There's hope for an agnostic. (laughs) Well, he emailed me back and says, is there hope for the Christian? And Mm -hmm. I emailed him back. I says, hey, hope is when you buy a lottery ticket. We have a more sure word of prophecy. Mm -hmm. You know, the prophecies that we see of the Bible give us confidence that we can believe in it. And so I said, (laughs) "We." I said, I can be as sure of the Bible as I can of my name. So hope is when you buy a lot of We have a more sure word of prophecy, you see. So uh, you mentioned hope, and, and I think that uh, I've often thought that. It, hope is kind of like, well, we hope it is, but we have a more evidence, you see, no, I, prophecy. No, I
1: appreciate your emphasis on that. And and the other thing, like uh, Dr. Michael Hassel shared with us about archaeology, he was telling us that as you look at... At biblical statements about archaeology, science is telling us this is real. It's not just fabricated. You've basically been saying the same thing about astronomy because you look at statements in the biblical record, you look at astronomy, and you say this is not just some um, primitive culture uh, that was just drawing, you know, connecting some dots. This is actually showing that there was some divine guidance in the process. Absolutely. Give us some other examples of things that are mentioned in the Bible about astronomy that have been verified.
5: Okay, well, uh, one I love is uh, Jeremiah thirty-three twenty-two says, "The stars you cannot count, the stars like you cannot count the sands of the seashore." Okay. And uh, I point out that it might have been people ready to put Jeremiah in a mental institution. Jeremiah, don't you read the Guinness Book of World Records? Don't you read Scientific America? Jeremiah, our scientists have counted the stars. We know there's about 6,000 stars visible to the naked eye. Jeremiah, you're, you're crazy. Hmm. Okay. Today, astronomers are verifying. I've heard it more than once. Astronomers say if you took all the sands on all the beaches of Earth, Roughly equivalent to all the stars in the known universe. So Jeremiah, 3,000 years ago, had it correct. And today, astronomers are verifying that. They used to think the earth was the center of the universe. Everything goes around us. We are the center. The Bible even points that out because the ancient cultures used to use a piece of clay to seal a letter Uh and a roller with an insignia on it. And the Bible says the earth is turning like clay to the seal. So the Bible tells us the earth is Mm. turning and not the rest of the universe going around us.
1: These are amazing insights, and basically, uh, these insights are so powerful. Jim, unfortunately, our time has slipped away from us. Fifteen already? (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing. If someone wants to get more information, do you have a website? You can go to heavensdeclare.org. Heavensdeclare.org? Okay. I've got that website. If you want more information about things that connect you with Native culture and with the veracity of the Bible as a book that helps support some of these indigenous views, go to heavensdeclare.org. Yes,
5: or go to YouTube, Jim Burr. If you go on YouTube, Jim Burr, Heavens Declare. You'll see about 30 television shows on YouTube.
1: Sounds good. We've got to run. I'm coming back with more on American Indian Living. We've got some other great programs coming up, other great guests. Don't go away. We will be back with more. I'm Dr. DeRose.
0: American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre recorded broadcast, please call 1 800 775 HOPE. That's 1 800 775 4673.
4: So, you want to be a hero? Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke, sudden weakness on one side, or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke.
3: Can you guess what's going on here? It's kids getting fit.
0: You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose.
1: You're back for the second half of today's edition of American Indian Living. We're recording in the convention center in Houston, Texas. We've been uh, featuring some amazing guests, a variety of guests on this show. We began with Dr. Michael Hassel speaking about how archaeology actually shows evidence of practical health practices that indigenous peoples have embraced for years. Then we had Jim Burr, a telescope manufacturer, who basically was telling us that indigenous peoples, with their fascination for the heavens actually we're uh, we're seeing evidence of a creator evidence of a creator that's also testified in the biblical record now we're going to change gears may seem completely but we're going to be looking at something else that connects us with indigenous wisdom and that is natural remedies across from me right now is Danny Kwan Danny it's so great to have you with me on American Indian Living
6: Glad to be here, David. Okay.
1: Now, Danny, you have uh, an amazing background, too. You're talking about health. You're working with uh, health products. But uh, you actually have background, if I'm not mistaken, as a lawyer. Is that correct?
6: Yes, that's correct. Yes.
1: Now, how did a lawyer get involved with a, a strong interest in health and natural remedies?
6: Well, you know... Um, yeah, I've always been um, interested in health, and um, when I was practicing law in the late 90s, I felt compelled to take a change in direction. I started working in nonprofit work and uh-huh. um, ministry-type work, and it's been since 2000. I've been doing nonprofit work, and in the course of that, just been exposed to uh, a lot of uh, different health issues. Um, that are prevalent in the world. And with the nonprofits that I've been associated with, we've been really instrumental in doing things like free clinics all around America and creating health media.
1: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. So we, uh, we, do, we do want to talk at some point about some of that work, but I know you're generating a lot of interest in this convention center because your booth is just a couple away from where we're recording American Indian Living. And I, I've actually seen lines... Uh, coming all the way over to my booth, and people are lined up, and they're telling me, I've actually gotten some reports, I haven't verified it, but they tell me that they're getting charcoal ice cream from you. (laughs) Is this a rumor, or is this true?
6: This is true. So what we have um, is a new product that's about to be launched. It's a charcoal patch. It's a hydrogel patch that you put on your skin that's infused with charcoal. And so you have the power of activated charcoal working on your on the surface of your body. Um, and so as a conversation starter, we have a, a soft-serve ice cream machine, and we are infusing it with activated charcoal so it looks black. But you can't taste the charcoal. You can only taste the delicious ice cream. and But you're also getting a, a healthy dose of activated charcoal.
1: Now, let me uh, – you know, someone said – they were asking about the health benefits of this, and I said, well – charcoal does we do know medically has some constipating properties i said well maybe they're putting charcoal in with the dairy ice cream in case someone has lactose intolerance. Is, is, is no, that the no. case? No,
6: no. We're actually using um, vegan ice cream. I so, see. So, so it's, it's like a soy a, ice cream we're, or something. But we're, we're hoping, um, it's just a joke, but we're hoping it would uh, absorb the sugar and get it out of your system. I see. I, I, it would <laughs> no, be a joke. No, it doesn't absorb sugar. No. Okay. So, but, you know, there's yeah.
1: a very interesting point, and we're talking about a natural remedy. We're talking about charcoal i 've been interested in this too for years, and that 's why I was so interested in seeing what you 're doing. Uh, by the way, You do have a great marketing <laughs> method there, and uh, i don 't yeah, know that i'll yeah i don 't know that i 'll try a, a charcoal ice cream to attract people <laughs> over to American Indian living, but the interesting thing is we use charcoal in the yes. emergency rooms today when someone takes a drug overdose activated charcoal is something that binds large molecules, so it won't bind to magnesium or sugar or something like that, but a large chemical like a drug,
6: right. charcoal
1: is going to bind up. You've made these patches, though, these charcoal patches. Right. What is the idea behind this?
6: So, yes, as you mentioned, a lot of people are aware of ingesting charcoal, mm-hmm. and it's a great, It's used for poison control, as you know. Charcoal is also used in as as water filtration. Right and in in many other industries, whenever they need to filter things, because charcoal adsorbs—not absorb with a B, but adsorb with a D. It's a chemical process in which it attracts chemically element molecules to itself, Mm -hmm. and a charcoal molecule particle has so many pores. That's why they call it activated charcoal. It's, it's been a, pro- a process makes it have more pores. Okay. It attracts and binds toxins to itself. And so that's why it works great for poison control. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the late 1700s, a chemist by the yeah. name of Bertrand drank 10 times the, the lethal dose of strychnine, but then he chased it with a glass full of charcoal water, And suffered no ill effects. And that's when science really started taking notice that charcoal was extremely powerful, even in small doses. Externally, um, it's not used hardly at all um, in in medical community. Even internally, it wasn't until the 60s and 70s and really the 80s that it actually started being used in the emergency rooms. Up until that point, charcoal was not really accepted. But it's a thousands-of-year-old remedy, uh-huh. and it's been used by American Indians. We have uh, evidence of it used for uh, upset stomach mm-hmm. um, and even for external healing, for infections on the body. So we're, what we've developed is a charcoal poultice, something that you would use on the surface of your body to relieve pain um, and get rid of infection and skin disorders, things like that.
1: Now, a tribal elder may hear the term poultice, and they say, we know what that is, a grandmother may say, oh, yes, we we made poultices in our day, too. But this term poultice, I don't know that it really connects with a modern generation. What is a poultice?
6: A poultice is any type of mass of substances, biological substances that you put together and used for medical healing on the surface of the skin. So there's herbal poultices. There's all kinds of poultices that people make. But what we are particularly focused on is a charcoal poultice. So it's primarily charcoal and water. You can, anyone can make a charcoal poultice by getting activated charcoal. You can buy one at any, so a bottle of powder at any Walmart. Okay. You just get the activated charcoal, you mix it with water, and you have a charcoal poultice. Now, char- activated charcoal is very messy and hard to work with. And so one thing you can do is you can add flaxseed. Ground flax seeds. You just mm-hmm. take a coffee grinder, put in some flaxseed, or you can buy flaxseed powder. Okay. And you would, you take basically a five-to-one ratio. Take five teaspoons of flaxseed powder to one teaspoon of activated charcoal. Mix it in a cup of water. Mix it up really good uh-huh. and let it sit for 15, 20 minutes, and it will start to turn into a gel-like substance. Okay. You can then take that and smear it on a cloth. Uh-huh. Put that on your wound or where, wherever area is pain, is inflammation, and then that will help. That's a poultice. That's a charcoal
1: Okay, poultice. and you're saying that we have evidence, solid yes. evidence, that Native Americans were using charcoal both internally and yes. externally in the form yes. of poultices.
6: Yes. Yes. In fact, we have Egyptian writings from 1550 B.C. that talks about using charcoal as a natural remedy. And I have a friend who grew up in um, Sudan, mm-hmm. and he was just telling me the other day, how his grandmother, who has no education, is illiterate. Uh, Whenever somebody in the village would have like a pussy wound where Mm -hmm. a pus was coming out, they would go to the fire, get charcoal, crush it, and put it on the wound. And in less than 24 hours, the pussiness would stop and infections would heal. And so even in in Africa, it's just a, a remedy that's been passed down for generation to generation.
1: I mean, this fits in so well with our theme for this this program, we're talking about indigenous wisdom, and we see it in Indian country, but it is not unique to Indian country. People that have lived close to the land, yes. they've had an appreciation for uh, plant-based foods, as yes. we saw with Dr. Hassel. They've had an appreciation for learning from the, the stars, the planets, that we're not alone, yes. that uh, there's a creator that cares for us. There's, yes. there's meaning and purpose in life. And now you're telling us that something as simple as the byproducts of a fire, charcoal, has been valued by indigenous peoples from the Middle East to Africa to North America. And right now you are trying to make this a little bit easier to work with, because I will be honest with you, I have worked with charcoal poultices. I've put them on myself, and... um, If that poultice is not on firmly and you go to bed with it, you may uh, end up staining your sheets forever.
6: (laughs) Yes. It's like activated charcoal is like toner, Mm. it stains anything, and the powder is so fine, it's very difficult to work Uh with.
1: Absolutely. So, is that part of the reason you've come up with the patch, just to make it easier to work with? Absolutely.
6: You know, with today's technology, with hydrogels, we can infuse the hydrogel with charcoal so you have the wet element Mm -hmm. with the charcoal and and using emulsifiers and modern technology we can make a peel and stick patch that you just stick it on peel it off throw it away no stain no residue very easy to use
1: really now i'm looking over at the booth next to me and of course there's no way we can uh, paint this picture accurately as far as our listeners but you've got a fellow there on your team who looks like the center of attention, at least in this aisle of the exhibit hall. He's got a group of young kids around him. They're eating black ice cream. does not look <laughs> like it's chocolate. It's this charcoal-infused stuff. But he's, um, I don't know, is he injured or what? He's got a patch on his arm. Is this one of these charcoal yes. patches?
6: So the patch, I think uh, one easy way to describe it is if you've ever um, heard of Icy Hot, um, uh-huh. you know, they they make hydrogel patches for pain. Okay. Imagine an Icy Hot patch. But black instead of a clear liquid. On the, so it's the hydrogel that uh-huh. you find normally in a pain patch like Icy Hot or Salampos, but infused with charcoal. Okay. And our products also have either eucalyptus oil uh-huh. or menthol, which okay. is the same as Icy Hot.
1: Okay. So basically, you've been uh, testing these patches out there. Are they commercially available or not They will be soon on Amazon
6: um, in about a month. We are are soft launching it right now. We've got prototypes and we're introducing it at at conventions like this. Uh But it will soon be available on Amazon and in other online sources and hopefully in stores near you.
1: Now, I'm actually looking at the packaging. Uh, First of all, it tells me it's made in the USA.
6: Yep. We make it right here in Northern California.
1: Okay. So although we're in, well, Houston, we're in Houston, Texas, we, yes. it's right here in the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> right here okay. in the U.S. Okay. okay. Yeah. And uh, it says uh, the black patch, yes. hydrogel pain relief patch with activated charcoal. Um, so is this the main application that you're getting interest in for pain relief?
6: Well, the issue is charcoal, activated charcoal has not been approved for use by the FDA for anything other than poison control. They don't recognize charcoal as being anything other than an inert Mm -hmm. substance that's totally harmless. There's no known contraindications, no Uh known side effects. No one's ever had side effects. So they have listed charcoal as a completely inert, harmless substance, but other than for poison control, they have not deemed it uh, useful for any other medical condition. Therefore, we have to be careful in our marketing and in our packaging. We can't say it's good for bee stings, bug bites, uh-huh. for skin infections, uh-huh. eczema, pimples, you know, a, a whole myriad of skin disorders. We can't say that it's good for that. Which Even though uh-huh. people in the, like in the Sudan will use uh-huh. it for, for that right out of the fire.
1: So there's some thought based on these anecdotal yes. experiences, these stories uh, yes. and history, that it might help if you're stung by a bee putting a charcoal poultice on That's right. may help adsorb or yes. pull that toxin out, huh? Yes, yes. Boy, this is interesting stuff. We have got to talk more with uh, Danny Kwan, and yet I know there's a, a, a lot going on. We're going to see if we can keep him by, but I've definitely got another segment coming up. It'll be a mystery to me and to you whether Danny's back with me in two minutes when we come back for our final segment. But stay tuned. We've got another great segment coming up, I promise you. I'm Dr. DeRose. We will be right back. Don't go away.
0: Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's one 800 775 4673 We'll be right back after this. One day I'll teach chemistry to kids.
3: I'm going to be an architect.
0: My dream is to be a chef.
3: At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we provide more than $150 billion each year in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life.
6: I can go back to college.
3: I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of The American Mind. Learn more about money for college at studentaid.gov. Diabetes is a serious disease that runs in families. If your parents or siblings have type 2 diabetes, you have a greater chance of getting the disease. If you're African American, Hispanic, or Latino, American Indian, Alaska Native, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander, you also have a higher chance of developing the disease. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you understand your risk. Visit the NDEP website at yourdiabetesinfo.org for diabetes prevention tools, including the Family Health History Quiz.
4: It started off as a normal day. I felt fine when I arrived at the plant. Ruth Junius's life was about to change. Then I dropped my keys. They kept slipping out of my hand. My arm felt numb. A co-worker asked me if I was okay, and I couldn't speak. I started to get scared. Ruth was having a stroke. People around her weren't sure what to do. They thought I should go home or lie down, but I knew something was very wrong. I wrote 911 on a piece of paper with my other hand, and someone called for me. Because everyone acted quickly, doctors at the hospital were able to give Ruth treatment that started to reverse the symptoms. Within a few minutes, I was talking again. I didn't know a thing about stroke before I had one. Now I make sure that my friends and family know all the signs of stroke so they'll get help fast if they need it. No stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. Call 1 800 352 9424 for more information. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. You're listening to Dr.
0: David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Dr. David
1: DeRose is back with you for our final segment of today's edition of American Indian Living. I am so thankful that Danny Kwan was able to stay by and finish up the show because, Danny, I'm still interested in charcoal, and I know a lot of our listeners no doubt are. They haven't even heard uh, that your patch is called the original name, perhaps, or the very creative name, the com. Yes. That's a website, yep. too, huh? Yes. Is that Black up Pouch and Pouch. running if I go to yes. the blackpatch. Yes. com,
6: Yep. And if you go back there um, periodically, once it's available online, you can find it on our website, and you can just click and, and purchase it online.
1: Okay. So you've been telling us about charcoal, a lot of history behind charcoal, of course, being used internally in poison control. and. I still think a lot of our listeners, as they've been listening from the top of the hour, some of them have been with us from the beginning, and it may seem to all be coming together very nicely, but others are saying, okay, started with archaeology, then astronomy, now we're back to the Earth and to a byproduct of fire, charcoal, and he's got a lawyer he's talking with somehow there's something that's just missing. You shared with us a little bit about why you got interested and why you developed this product, but I think my listeners are interested perhaps in learning a little bit more. There's got to be something else going on behind the scenes. Is that true or not?
6: Yes, there, there absolutely is. Um, we are, you know, the big thing about um, what's been happening with me in the last 17 years as I left the legal profession was to make the world a better place. Okay. Uh, working in non-profit, uh, work, we can do that. You know, you can make a difference. And I felt my energy was better suited to do that. Mm-hmm. And we've done great. I work with two different organizations. One of them, Amen, Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. We do free dental, medical, and, and optometry clinics here in the U.S. and internationally. Okay. With our media organization, uh, lifeandhealth.org, it's called Life and Health Network, we create health media. That's accessible to the public. So a free website resource.
1: So that website, again, it passed by too quickly. It's lifeandhealth.org. So just simply the word L-I-F-E, then and, A-N-D, yep. health, H-E-A-L-T-H, yep. That's right. dot org. That's right. And if someone goes there, it's mainly educational resources?
6: All free. There's videos. There's articles. There's um, courses that people can take on health. Um, you that We have over 150 short cooking videos. on 150? Content. Yes, and they're short. They're not long and boring. They get quick to the point of how to cook healthy.
1: Now, I think over the years, you may have even snuck me on a few of those segments. Yes. You still have and those if online?
6: To, if you want to see Dr. DeRose, you can come to lifeandhealth.org, and you can see Dr. DeRose. You did some of our Ask the Doctor segments, so we have a bunch of videos where there's common questions that people are asking, emailing us about. And we've had doctors like yourself and other doctors come and answer those questions. And you can watch those videos at lifeandhealth.org.
1: Okay. So you've been involved with that work. Are are you still involved with Life and Health? Yes. I'm still
6: the executive director for both organizations. But as I was working with these organizations, one thing I noticed was a severe lack of funding. Mm. You know, we want to provide free resources. We're a nonprofit. We want to do more clinics. Where we're, you know, we're helping people with their uh, dental problems. We do uh, extractions, fillings, even root canals and crowns, same day crowns Mm -hmm. at our clinics. And so we're doing this work, but it's so expensive and it's hard to fundraise. Mm -hmm. And this opportunity arose where I saw this new product and it just seemed like it was just ripe for taking it to market. Uh You know, car coal, even though it's so common, It's one of the most underutilized natural remedies in the world. And Carbon Innovation is the name of the company I founded to help fund uh, not only, you know, this company, but future, more clinics, uh, more health media, uh, other nonprofits that uh, may need funding. Uh, We uh, our investors and myself have a goal to um, tithe 10 percent of our earnings even mm-hmm. though the IRS doesn't give you a break for 10% okay. well, for the company profits. Uh-huh, you know? uh-huh. uh, but we're going to tie 10%, um, like the biblical tithe, that concept, if okay. any of you familiar with it, the 10%. We want to give 10% back to nonprofits. Excellent.
1: And, uh, so Carbon Innovation is the name yes. of the company. Your product, the Black Patch.
6: Yes, which you can read about on theblackpatch.com, dot okay,
1: the com. The and uh, what I'm so interested in, Danny, is you talked with me just kind of briefly as a physician because you know all these stories that are out there. You're trying to see that more research happens about charcoal as well. I know there's a lot of health professionals that listen to the show. What are you looking for as far as, as research and what kind of opportunities might there be for a clinician who's interested in, in charcoal technology?
6: If you're, if you're interested in trying the black patch In your office, um, with your patients, Uh, we are more than happy to partner with you and we'd be happy to come up with some sort of arrangement where we could provide product for you to give to your patients, you Mm -hmm. know, um, because we're trying to find out, you know, ourselves through independent research where Mm -hmm. on what conditions it works better on. Um, It's not magic, there's actually a science behind it. Uh We're, uh We're endeavoring to do a lot of research and development to find out when it works better how to make it work better okay and, and to improve the product
1: very good so you're open to research ideas absolutely and absolutely. is the way someone contacts you through the website
6: yes there should be uh, email information on the website and you can also just email me at dquan danny quan that's d as in danny k w o n at carboninnovation.com
1: Okay, so give me that uh, that email address one more time.
6: Dquan D-K-W-O-N, at carboninnovation.com.
1: Okay. Danny, I've got one other uh, question at least for you, and um, it may not be an easy question to answer, but it may be. You've been working, like you said, with a variety of nonprofit organizations. We have many nonprofits that, Tune in to the show. Uh, they maybe are saying what you're doing is interesting to us. We would love to have another revenue stream, and maybe a tribe that's saying, you know, we're looking for new things to invest in. Uh, I know you're not probably at this point because you're a startup looking for more funding necessarily, but are you willing to share some of your expertise from the nonprofit world and? doing free clinics, things like this. Are you a resource?
6: Absolutely. We, you know, if you would like to have a free medical, dental, optometry clinic in your tribe, in your area, uh, along with health resources that you can use, we're a nonprofit. We're here to provide those resources, give us a call, get in contact with me, and we'll do everything we can to get into your area, uh, either giving you resources, doing a clinic or both.
1: Now that D for Danny Kwan K W O N at, at
6: Carbon Innovation One Word dot com.
1: So that's the best point of contact. Yes. Okay, and it's Carbon Innovation singular. Yes,
6: right. That's right.
1: Okay, so we got that contact information, and uh, I think this message is really important. So Danny has got a lot of experience. He can give you some. Uh, some technical assistance as far as just doing things from a nonprofit standpoint. He's got that legal background, and you still draw from that, no doubt, right?
6: Yes, it's been great. It's great asset.
1: And then uh, you're actually helping right now put together clinics. Uh, last uh, practical question. That's an extension of the one that I may have told you is the last question, and that is what do these clinics look like?
6: Well, you can um... – You can look up our clinics at amenfreeclinics.org, amenfreeclinics.org. And um, you can get a sense of of what the clinics are like, watching some of our videos. But we also have a list of up-and-coming clinics, and so you might be able to find one in an area near you. Mm -hmm. And it's also the portal from which you can sign up as a volunteer. We're always looking for volunteers. It doesn't matter if you're not a doctor or a nurse or a dentist. We can use, in fact, we need more non-medical volunteers than medical volunteers to pull off a clinic.
1: Do you really?
6: So what a clinic typically looks like is we'll um, have like a convention center or a big exhibit hall or a Mm -hmm. gymnasium or a large hall in a church, Mm -hmm. and we will set up dental operatories. So we'll set up anywhere from 10 to 40, our largest clinic at 60 operatories, or each operatory is capable of, of... performing all kinds of dental functions.
1: Wow. Wow. And so dentistry is one of the big services And optometry as well.
6: And we'll do, provide free frames, free exam.
1: Wow. Free so give us the website again that describes these. Uh,
6: AmenFreeClinic.org.
1: So it's Free Clinic Singular.
6: Singular or plural. We've got both domains. Oh, okay. So.
1: <laughs> Amen Free Clinic or Amen Free Clinics. It's Amen, A-M-E-N.
6: A-M-E-N Free Clinics.org. And
1: if, again, you're wanting to get in touch with Danny Kwan personally, It's Dequan at carboninnovation.com. That's correct. Danny, you've been a great guest. Don't run because uh, I want to not only thank you on the air, but I want to talk with you after uh, we slip away. But as we're closing out today's show, I just want to say, hopefully you've enjoyed this journey throughout really looking at the wisdom of indigenous peoples, whether it's studying archaeology, whether it's looking at the starry heavens, or whether it's... Looking at an indigenous healing practice, charcoal, these things all come together and they tell us the elders had a wisdom when it came to healing that has often eluded modern scientists. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Hopefully, today's show has made a difference for you. And as always, I'm wishing you the very best of health.
0: Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.